Ladies and gentlemen, I'm full of optimism. Einstein's theory of relativity. We're still seeing it quite well through that haze. He minus 37 seconds. The fight is going to equals MC. That all men are created equal. About the future innovation. And growing strength in the air. This is Finding Your Frequency with your hosts, Jeff Spinard and Ryan Treasure. It's time to speak up, share your voice, and hear from the thought leaders. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another fantastic episode of Finding Your Frequency right here on VoiceAmerica.com's flagship channel, the Voice America Variety Channel. You know, in, in, in keeping true to our nature, uh, we've been doing uh, uh, several interviews uh, across the series of uh, local businesses here in the Phoenix area. And so we're going to continue that today as we talk to Rudy Truisi. He's the president and CEO of Reliable Background Screening, uh, and he's recognized as a leading expert on FCRA, which is the Fair Credit Report. Reporting Act, the federal law, which governs and imposes complex and ever-changing regulations. So we're going to talk to uh, Rudy today. Rudy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Ryan. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I can't complain about anything. Uh, I live in Phoenix. It's March. Spring training is everywhere. Weather is fantastic. And I own a motorcycle. What else could you do? Nothing. It's just it's just enjoy this weather because you know we'll be paying for it in a few months. Yeah, we sure will. We sure will. Well, you know, Rudy... Finding Your Frequency radio show is uh, about finding your frequency, that, that why, that, that moment where you decided that's what I want to do and found your frequency. So let's, before we get into you know, the, the, the company and what you guys do and how it operates, just let's take a step back to 1993. Sure. Right? And, and what led you down this road of, uh, of, of reliable background screening? So it's interesting. I, I ended up getting involved in marketing, uh, working for banks uh, for 17 years. I actually introduced the first universal IRA to the New York metropolitan uh, marketplace back in 1982. So I have a long history of working uh, in the finance field. And got married, had some kids, and w banking was so crazy that I got tired of you know wondering would I have to relocate again? So I had young kids. I had a great opportunity. I, at one point, I had been the marketing director for one of the biggest banks in the country. I don't know if we can say the name or not, but... Uh, say whatever you say want. It it's was, Internet Radio. Sure. It's Bank of America. So, <laughs> um, so I handled the advertising and marketing for the whole state of Arizona. And in that capacity, you have to know compliance. So it, I was, it really was well-suited for bringing me to an opportunity where I had to purchase a business and allow myself to stay in the Phoenix area and raise my kids. So, uh, you know, now they're adults, and in fact, one of them is now in my business. So I'm really, it's a, truly a family business, and it's a lot of fun now. Yeah, you know, we were uh, interviewing uh, uh, Audrey Monell, who's the president of Forrest Anderson Plumbing Company, which I didn't realize uh, the company's been in Arizona since like 1961. Uh, it was it was started by her great grandfather, uh, and then just kind of down the line, and now she's the first and like first female CEO executive of a. Of a, of a construction company here in Arizona, which I thought was awesome. So to hear the story about, you know, your kids kind of, you know, moving down in succession and jumping into the business, that's got to feel really good, right? It, no, it really feels great because 
it, it becomes your life, and I, and I have a real passion for what I do, and it's wonderful to see um, my now adult son, who's actually my baby, but he's 28 <laughs> years old, um, doing a phenomenal job. That's awesome. Well, so you got into this business, and you were you were obviously solving a problem, right? In, in 1994, when you launched this business, what was the biggest thing that you guys were trying to solve by, by doing background checks? So back then, um, and you're too young to even remember what this is, um, the business got its business from thermal fax machines. And probably most of the listeners out there don't <laughs> even know what a fax machine is, let alone a thermal fax machine. But uh, quickly, it's kind of like the soft uh, rolled credit card paper, which which rolls. Which I do remember. Okay, you do remember. <laughs> I remember the <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, and, and we mainly did tenant screening then. Well, for fast forward a few years, we decided let's do other things, and uh, and then we created an online market, and so now our business, which at the time was tenant screening, now we do all kinds of um, permissible business purpose background checks. So we only do things with the the permission of the consumer for a permissible business purpose, so such as tenant screening, volunteer screening, employee screening, franchisee screening membership screening for high-end country clubs, but really every kind of organization could be students' members. It could right. be ride-sharing clubs or dating clubs. Yeah, and I know that the regulations that have to do with the federal government in any capacity are, you know, a nightmare to kind of navigate those waters. Any, I seem to get a, a, a pretty high notion for most of the entrepreneurs and business folks that we work with that the government is just really terrible at regulation in general. Uh, and so it makes it real hard for you guys to manage what you want to do and where you want to go. Um, so I bet, you know, getting, getting that... Uh, like permission from the person to do the background check is probably the most important component of your compliance, right? It it is the first step in the compliance, but there there is much more, um, and it depends upon which type. Employee screening is the most regulated. It's interesting. So the Fair Credit Reporting Act is the law that governs background checks. And that was a law. It's also the Consumer Lending Protection Law, which is something I was very familiar with in my banking days. However, in the consumer report portion, that's what deals with um, the regulations that govern background check reports. Employee screening is the most regulated. So it's not with employee screening, it's not just the initial disclosure. If you take what's called an adverse action, basically not hiring someone or firing someone based upon the report, the background screening mm -hmm. report, the employer has additional disclosure responsibilities. To make that even more complicated now, many states, some counties, and some cities have instituted their own additional requirements. One of the nice things about using a company like mine, who we are experts on the FCRA, we make it simple for those clients to be in compliance. So yeah, let's just kind of throw a scenario at it, get an, an example, right? So let's, I'll use Voice America as an example, right? So we, we hire people, we have employees, um, and so uh, we have an HR person who manages, you know, the onboarding of new employees, and, you know, um, we have to make sure that, you know, the person is a legal United States citizen, you know, all of those types of things, so we don't get in trouble, um, you know, so doing those searches. So what, what would a typical, like, layout work um, 
when somebody comes in and they're not hired yet, right? They're a, a prospective uh, employee. Uh, you have to get their permission on an application, on a something before you can go and do the background check, right? Correct. And it and it cannot be. This is one of the intricacies of this law. You can't cannot put the disclosure in your general employment application. The FCRA requires that it be separate and distinct whose sole purpose is the background check. And as things evolve, there was a case law, and I actually, if, if anyone is bored at night, go to our <laughs> website, reliablebackground.com, and under industry news, I write every month, and in both March and February, I wrote about the um, the Ninth Circuit uh, Court of Appeals out of uh, California, which ruled on ex on, a, on a case, and their interpretation has changed the way background disclosures probably need to be now. There was no change in the law, but case law changes over time. And what happened there, I, I mentioned how states and and localities often have additional disclosures. It had historically been fine to include the California disclosure, the New York disclosure, as part of that federal disclosure. But that ruling, um, it, was, it was the case law, it was uh, Gilbert versus California check cashing stores. That ruling changed that. So now people are saying, and I wrote about this, you need to separate those, those disclosures. So depending on where you are, uh, <laughs> you, you, you know, this is one thing I think is universal, but it, it becomes important to know who you're dealing with and have a company that can help you right. or, or legal counsel that can help you. Yeah, because I mean, it's kind of like, you know, I'm a, I'm a manager, I hire, I hire team members and, you know, it, for me, like it's a, it makes that conversation around uh, who I potentially want to hire like a little bit harder because I'm going, you know, hey, you're in, you came in for this interview. I have your application. Everything sounds good. I like your resume. Our conversation went well. You answered all the questions. You you hit all the prerequisites for, uh, you know, uh, getting hired onto this particular position. And so now let's go to the next step. So here's a piece of paper. I'm going to need you to sign this. This is the Arizona disclosure for your background check. Here's the federal disclosure for your background check. And, you know, and then whatever other paperwork that I have to fill out. Uh, it just makes it awkward for, for a manager to have to go through, you know, that many steps rather than going, hey, we're going to do a background check, fill this one paper out, right? <laughs> no question. It, it makes it awkward. But more importantly, it's not just awkward. It makes it difficult to do your work. You know, the way I look at it, and this is what we say to our clients, look, you're, you're in radio. You know your business. We do background checks, and we really know our business. And we'll make it simple for you. We don't expect you to know our business. I don't know your business. But get involved with a company that can help you and make it easy for you, as easy as possible. Look, the laws change, and, and then the inter interpretation of the laws change. So having someone that has your back is really important. Yeah, no, and so it's almost like you guys are creating almost a partnership with each of the businesses that you work with that are your customers because they heavily rely on, uh, you know, your guys' ability to do what you do because you're right. You you know your business. They know their business. And so, you know, having, you know, kind of a hands-off approach from the employer's perspective or the business's perspective and let you guys handle that, you know, for me as a manager um, – that's definitely something that's very valuable uh, when working with a partner or a vendor. No question. And, and because um, one of the issues with background checks, well, there are a number of issues. Um, here are a few of them. There is no criminal database that exists that covers the entire country. No one has it. 
even the FBI files, those files with fingerprints have only about 50% of all the crimes in the country. So how is that? How is that even possible that they could only have 50%? Because you know that 100% of criminals who are convicted of a crime um, are, are getting their, their fingerprints taken. You're getting your fingerprints taken even if you didn't get convicted of a crime. If you get arrested, Correct. you're getting your fingerprints taken. Um, and then secondarily, if you get convicted of a crime, I've even noticed that probably like 99% of the courts nowadays are making judgments based upon like, hey, you're getting convicted of this crime, you know, come back for sentencing. Part of this is going to require, you're, not only are you going to give us your fingerprints, you can give us a DNA swab too. And they start building, you know, a database based around that. So I don't understand how it's even possible for them to only have 50% if 100% are being fingerprinted. So there are about 3,300 counties in the, in the United States. And in those counties, think about how many police stations there are. So when people get fingerprinted, they're being fingerprinted at typically local police stations. Getting that information to the FBI is the challenge, and that's why the FBI does not have all the information, because so many of these, these jurisdictions, um, a lot of them with cutbacks, they're tight staff, and they just can't get to do it. So um, that's why, uh, <laughs> you know, it's... it's it, I got an easy solution for that. Blockchain, <laughs> blo blockchain the fingerprint process, right? So it's on a public ledger, and then the federal government has access to the blockchain public ledger. They can go look at everything that's done through all 3,300 counties. Done. You know what? <laughs> You're, if that's the solution, go for it. But, uh, you know, the challenge, again, you, you have so many privacy concerns. Let, let's, let's, for example, California. California, as most people know, is a is one of the hardest states to do business in. And although we're, we are a local company, we're in our, based in Arizona, but we have clients all over the country, even internationally. So we have to understand California. Um, it became, here are some of examples. In California. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, really. So in California, I, I wrote about this in October of 17, if you want to look at the website, but in January of, of 18, two things became um, the law in California. One, you cannot ask salary history, and that's mainly due to concerns over disparities, you know, based on women and men, historical disparities. So you cannot ask salary history. The other was, if you're going to do a background check, you can't do it initially. You have to have a real job offer before you give that form to authorize the background check. So That's insane. in other states, like in Arizona, it's a lot easier. You could have your general employment application. You still need your separate disclosure for the background check and now the separate state Yeah, but I don't, have to get, I don't have to offer somebody a job Correct. to give them a background. Which that, that's ludicrous from well, a business and, perspective. And especially from a standpoint of efficiency, you can get those authorizations up front. Now, I always tell clients or prospective clients, don't waste money doing a background check if your interview process eliminates the person. There's no reason to spend good money after bad. You know the interview disqualifies them. Don't do the background check. But if you get the authorization up front, usually people interview a lot of people initially. So if they have those authorizations up front, then they can determine, I want to give Ryan a job. I'm going to do a background check on Ryan now. Yeah, because in Arizona, that makes total sense. And, and you're right. You might have like, you know, you have one 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 full-time position to fill. You might get 100 applicants. Or more. Right? Of, <laughs> of those, yeah, I'm just using real easy round numbers. Right. But of those 100 applicants that come through, right, your HR person or the head of the 
the said department who's reviewing those resumes is going to go, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, through those based upon the resumes themselves, right? Maybe that gets whittled down to 20 applicants that, that they say, okay, hey, let's have you come in for an interview. So now we have 20 in-person interviews. And at that point, at the end of the interview, that's when I, as a manager, I'm going to go, okay, do I want to see this person again? Um, and if I do want to see that person again, then the interview went well. At that point, that's when I would have them sign a disclosure for the background check. Yeah. And, 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 and you could either do that or you could actually, if people come into your HR department and they're filling out an employment application, you could give them that separate background check authorization in Arizona so mm -hmm. that you would have it available should they get to the point where you would want to. And again, I would only do a background check when you are, in fact, ready to extend a job right. offer. The difference is in California, you do not have the right to give them that form until you are ready to tell them, yes, we're ready to hire you as long as you do a background check and pass it successfully. So it, yeah, and then you come back and you're like, whoa, <laughs> this guy was a what? He's got a three felonies and a whatever. Well, and here's the other thing. In California, unlike in Arizona and actually still most of the states, the whole state of California, you cannot simply say, oh, you are a convicted murderer or you are a sex offender. We're not going to hire you. So the federal law requires two notices. It's called a pre-adverse action notice and then an adverse action notice. So you would send, um, let's say you found out the person based on the background check report was a murderer. You cannot send a letter, we're not gonna hire you. Under the federal law, you must send what's called a pre-adverse action letter saying we're contemplating not hiring you and you have to give them a copy of the report and their rights, which you've already given them, but you have to give it to them again. Then best practices would st state you would wait at least five business days so that consumer has the ability to get back to you to dispute it potentially. And then if they have not disputed it, then after five business days, typically a calendar week unless there's a holiday, federal ho or state holiday, that's when you can send the second letter of saying we're not going to hire you. In California and also in New York City, and there's several other cities around the country that have implemented a similar policy of, it's called an individualized assessment. It means that you would have to take that background and screening report. Maybe they have three convictions, one for murder, one for sexual assault, one for marijuana, um, <laughs> and maybe a DUI. And you'd have to say, that person's been busy. <laughs> based upon your, based upon this position and the job functions, it's your conviction for murder, your conviction for sexual assault, uh, that are the, the factors, not the not the DUI, not the marijuana conviction, that are causing us not to want to hire you. Right. But then the consumer gets additional time to dispute it, and so you basically can't wait the five days. You have to extend that process. If the consumer disputes it, you have to within 30 days re in under the f federal law within 30 days you have to reinvestigate it and if you cannot after reinvestigation confirm that it's that person as a consumer reporting agency we are required to remove it from the report but in those states that require um in the states that require the individualized assessment it, the time period is longer. And that's why, again, you want to work with a company that understands these laws. I know. I feel like as an employer, if you're in California or those other places, you got to be like, okay, I know I'm, I, I, I need to hire somebody now, but it's going to take me three months to actually hire that person to go through all of this process. Well, again, if, if, 
if their background check comes clean, then you don't have any of those additional disclosure right. and adverse action notices. So it's a more simpler process. It's only when there's something, and even if it's not clean, if there's a if there's a record on there that as an employer you're not concerned about then you don't have to address it. You don't you have just, to address you just, it. You're you just hiring hire them. them. If right. you're hiring them, you're hiring them. It's only when you choose that you don't want to hire them that you cannot say, we're not going to hire you. You have to first say, we're thinking about not hiring you and go through the required process. So if you guys did like, let's say 100,000 background checks, let's just say 100, we'll keep it even, right? If you did 100 background checks, right? And I guess this is just kind of statistically looking at humans in general. Of those 100 background checks that you might do on a random sampling of people, how many of them come back as, um, you, you know, uh, red flag thrown, need to need to investigate further or make some more determinations? Well, that varies because each employer has their own criteria. And so we, we're, we are typically not involved. Occasionally, the employer wants us to implement their criteria, but generally, the employer is making their own decision. So we're reporting the information. And depending upon the employer, some employers will hire felons because based upon the job, maybe it's a warehouse job, and they feel that, you know, it doesn't matter that this person had a felony. We think it's okay. And that's fine because people are entitled. I mean, look, we want we want people to not be, uh, you know, yeah. the recidivism rate with prisoners, unfortunately, is high. And, and part of the challenge is because people often have a hard time getting work. It's a process. So, but I would say in general, when I look at things that come up on reports, you'd be surprised how many people have DUIs. Now, DUIs... <laughs> One might think, oh, that's, that's a DUI. And for anyone that drinks occasionally, if you go out to dinner, you might, and if you got stopped, you might actually get a DUI because the, the, the percentage is really low. Even if you feel you can. Yeah, don't drink and drive in Arizona. I can tell you that <laughs> right now. Don't ever do it. You will, if you ever get caught doing that, it's the worst state in the, in the right, US. Right, <laughs> So, but, but the bottom line is for certain positions, if it's a driving position, that DUI may. That's may, a factor. Yeah. Yeah. So. Again, that's why we don't know, but I, I would say probably 20 to 20 to 35 percent of people have some kind of issue, and it may be a DUI, might be a speeding ticket, and even speeding tickets for certain jobs, if it's a driving job, oh, yeah. could be disqualifying. So if you if if a person like has a DUI or a whatever that's on their you know background check, um, is there a time frame you know like because you hear about like statute of limitations and stuff like that for you know like the state for crimes or whatever, and they can't go after you if it's been X amount of time. Is there is there a point in time where you know let's say somebody got like a I don't know, I don't know like a not 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 a felony that was like murder or something, you know, some like disorderly conduct or something, you know, they made a mistake and, you know, had had something like that. Is there a time frame where that falls off of your background check? So public records are out there. It, it depends upon each jurisdiction. So um, I know in Maricopa, a lot of the justice courts where things like disorderly conduct might be, they, they, they have been um, uh, purging their records after seven years, but not every locality does that. The reality is, under the federal law, only criminal convictions can be reported over seven years. Other than that, if it's not a criminal conviction, it cannot be reported. Yeah, so basically, a DUI is a criminal conviction, so it, those would, and, those and, would and that, right? And that can vary by state. In many states, it is a, a DUI is a criminal. In some states, it may, not, it may be considered simply traffic and not criminal. Um, 
I will say best practices. Companies typically look at the last seven years unless there is a um, background screening companies typically look at the last seven years unless there is an employer that wants a longer look back period. However, certain states like California, California again is the <laughs> most consumer friendly state, uh, they actually do not allow reporting even criminal convictions over seven years. Okay, wow. So uh, I guess that's good news for someone. If 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 you committed a crime and it's and it's you you were released from prison and served your pr probation and it's been more than seven years, California is probably a good state to go to because that law does not allow anyone reporting that. In Arizona, we could actually report a felony conviction or a misdemeanor conviction that's twenty years old. Now. Having said that, the Arizona law permits that, as do probably most of the states. I would not recommend that only because the EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, who does not have jurisdiction under the Fair Credit Reporting Act, but they do under uh, Title Seven. I believe it's uh, Title Seven. Um, basically, the discrimination, you know, you, those protected classes. You don't want to um, discriminate. And the EEOC came out with uh, some guidelines back in 2012, I believe it was, where they took the position that you really, it's kind of like, well, that's where the individualized assessments came from. They said you should have an individualized assessment. Uh, you should not have a blanket policy. And I would encourage people not to have a blanket policy that says we deny employment to all convicted felons. Because the EEOC might come in on you and, and, and you don't want an EEOC audit. Um, and the reason they did that, in fairness, um, the prison population for African-Americans, they are overrepresented um, by three to one based upon the prison versus the general population. Mm -hmm. And Hispanics are also overrepresented, not quite as high, but, but the bottom line is from a concern of protected classes, and you want to be fair, and you want, you want people to have a chance to rebuild their life. So advice that I would give clients, mm -hmm. just look at the last seven years, because if someone's been clean for the last seven years, you know, that I think is saying enough. That's proof enough that maybe, you know, they're on the right track and right. doing what they need to do. Because seven years is quite a long time for a whole lot of life changes to happen for any one exactly. person. So, Rudy, let's shift gears just a little bit, right? We've been talking about compliance and all of these different things and uh, great topic, uh, great to hear. But I want to know about the technology that you guys leverage to, to do your day-to-day -day operations. You know, I... Um, if, if any of the listeners have listened to the show, they know this by now. Um, I'm a futurist. I love technology. Uh, and I always want to know what kind of technology are companies deploying today to make it easier and more efficient. Uh, I like to use the terminology effectiveness versus efficiency. Uh, and so how are you guys leveraging technology to get that? Sure. Well, I mentioned back in 94, we had seven thermal fax machines, and that's how we got our business. <laughs> And we went to an online system, oh, I guess it was early, like 2000 or so. But today we have a secure, highly secure cloud-based system that allows integration with a variety of uh, applicant tracking systems, which is on the HR side, yep. or property management software on the, on the um, uh, tenant screening side. Additionally, we can we have an API. If anyone knows, I I'm not a technology person. Rest services. Okay, but I have a little <laughs> bit. I have enough just to talk about. So an API basically, or a sandbox playing in the sandbox as they call it, allows 
integration between two s disparate, separate platforms. So we do custom integrations. For instance, we're, we're working now with a um, home referral uh, service that is actually going to be doing best practices background checks through us. Mm -hmm. um, now, you know, I'll actually give them the name, TrustPatrick.com. They are starting to launch, and they are doing a best practices background check as part of their, and that's how they're going to differentiate themselves from so, so many companies out there. And the biggest names that you know out there, the, if you read the fine print, they make it clear they don't do a really good background check. So with technology now, we can allow not only these custom integrations like I discussed, but we have various digital options. So we have other digital processes that involve either no programming or very modest programming that we can allow clients to have a branded uh, with their logo so let's say voice america if, if voice america wanted our branded url we can do have all the disclosures come in there and what's nice about it when the person says, I'm a resident of San Francisco, I mentioned how so many localities have their own um, additional disclosure requirements. San Francisco now requires dis their specific disclosures in four languages, Mandarin, English, Spanish, and I'm not sure what the fourth one is, but I know there's a fourth language which just came out because I looked at the it's, disclosure. It's some it's some <laughs> form of uh, it's some form of Indian dialect is what it is because that um, just from a technology perspective, you have um, the like there's a ton of people that had come from India to work in Silicon Valley and in technology. So I would imagine that's probably what the fourth one is. That that could be. I I looked at it and and because I speak French and Italian, I'm pretty good at that. <laughs> but this one I just didn't know. It looked a little. <laughs> like Spanish, but uh, anyway. But if you can imagine how difficult that is, but when, when the consumer says, I am a resident of San Francisco, those San, Fran San Francisco disclo additional disclosures will self-populate in this electronic disclosure. Nice. So that that relieves our clients of this really onerous um, disclosure responsibility. And by making it... Um, this process also allows the ID to be uploaded because processing legal name and date of birth is so crucial. Um, you know, my name is Rudy. Well, really it's not. I don't like Rudolph. Um, uh, I really don't like Rudy, but it's the best thing I have. So, but if I was applying for the job, it needs to be processed under Rudy. So in this digital process with, with the branded URL, we can upload, have the applicant upload the license. We then look at that and confirm it and then confirm that input before it actually gets processed. So we offload that responsibility from our clients for a very nominal fee. And oh, I'm um, sure HR managers love that because it takes a little stress off of their day-to-day -day and, and you know keeps them focused on the more core components of what they need to do with the internal employees. Yeah. Yes, yeah. uh, 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 most of our clients really love it. Uh, so yes, um, we have found that. We also have another digital process where there's no programming cost. It does not allow uploading of the driver's license. So what happens in that case, once the consumer 
digitally signs, the employer representative is notified so that they can have that person's license and they can confirm the ID and the name that the name and the date of birth are correct and they can push it through. So it involves a little bit more work on their end. So it's really whatever they want. If they want to spend a very small amount for programming versus having their HR people constantly having to spend their time right. on verifying the input. Um, we look at ourselves as a consultant to our clients. We not a vendor. We are a partner to them. We mitigate risk for them. We understand the issues with, involved with background screening. We know there's no criminal database. We know most criminal records have no social security number. So it's really important that government ID be checked and that exact legal name and date of birth are used so that you don't get, quote, garbage in resulting in garbage out. <laughs> Garbage in, garbage out. So for myself, uh, audio and video uh, production for, you know, the better part of 20 years managing so, uh, all sorts of new media. And you can ask the engineering team next door uh, how many times I've probably said that term that if you have garbage in, garbage will come out and then works with just about anything you can think of, um, especially with audio, right? If you record garbage audio, then your, your, your end result will be garbage, too. That's awesome. Yes. Uh, I, I, so I do get some team members that say, oh, it doesn't sound so professional. But it's the, it's, I think people understand that concept. It's, it's, uh, it, it, and it's the truth. It, it, yeah, you know, I think just depends on who you say that to, whether they're going to feel that way about it. Um, and that's one thing that – that's another thing that <laughs> – I say get over it. <laughs> that's a, I agree with you. That's another thing that differentiates reliable background screening from our competition. And this is based on an industry consultant – because we have eyes on every report, even though unlike years ago when they came in via fax, now most virtually you know, like 100% of our clients almost um, do their own input or the applicants doing their own input. Yet we have eyes on that input. So if we see that Rudy got entered, but that Rudolph is the name that comes up, we're going to notify our client unless we actually have their license um, to, because sometimes Rudy might be the legal name. It's that eyes on the report that makes us different because we help prevent that garbage in resulting in garbage out. Well, that's good. So you guys are the, the garbage in filter, right? Yes, we, we, <laughs> we filter out garbage in. <laughs> that's great. Well, Rudy, thank you so much for taking time uh, out of your day and coming down to our facilities here in Phoenix. Uh, I know you guys are over there in Scottsdale, so you had a little bit of a drive, but not too bad, right? Not too bad, and it's a, it's a nice day. And again, if I can just say, you know, anyone's interested in, in reading more, go to our website, reliablebackground.com. Uh, it will redirect you to Reliable Background Screening. Com, which is our real website, but it's shorter to type reliablebackground.com. Read, go under industry news, write a lot, and certainly call us if you have any questions. Absolutely. Rudy, thank you guys so much. Today we're uh, talking about background checks and navigating the maze uh, of how that works uh, with Rudy right here from Reliable Background Screenings uh, located right here in the fantastic Maricopa County area. Always love talking to folks uh, that are here, local business owners, uh, keeping those tax dollars right here in Arizona so we can continue to grow because uh, as you guys know, we're one of uh, only a few states that actually has a budget surplus. So <laughs> Let, let's keep the entrepreneurism, the technology, and all that right here in Phoenix, Rudy. Thank you. Thank you so much.